Does God care? You've been abused, maybe even still being abused. You've been forced. You've been bullied, picked on, made fun of, rejected, humiliated. You've lost a loved one, maybe recently or not so recently. You're single and lonely. You're married, but unloved. You've just found out your spouse has been looking at pornography or been unfaithful to you in some other way. You've been in or witnessed a bad accident, maybe more than one, and you're haunted by the memories. You've been injured. You or a loved one has a disability or has been diagnosed with a serious debilitating condition or a disease that could even and, and maybe even will result in your death. You have chronic physical pain. You battle with emotional or mental challenges day in and day out. You've experienced a miscarriage. You haven't been able to have children. You've had children, but some, maybe most, maybe even all of them have turned away from the Lord. You've been accused of something you didn't do. You're being assaulted, accused, and tempted by Satan. Maybe you're even here this morning and you're in bondage to him. You're in bondage to sin. You're in bondage to addictions. And you want out. But you can't. You can't get out. Does God? care? Does God care about your sorrows, about your pain and suffering? Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, all of us know sorrow. All of us know suffering. All of us know pain. I've just given just a few examples, but in some way we've all experienced sorrow. We live as, as sinners ourselves. We live in a broken and a fallen world. A world full of sin, full of sorrow, and full of suffering. You only have to look at the news in the past few weeks to see this. The terrible attacks that Hamas carried out on Israel. The many people in both Israel and, 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 and Gaza whose lives have been upended, traumatized. The people in Ukraine who have suffered so much over the last couple of years. The earthquake in Afghanistan that killed over 2,000 people. 
Though we may personally have been so far spared suffering on that kind of scale, yet we all ourselves have experienced sorrow and suffering and pain to some degree in different ways. We all know sorrow. The question is, does God care? That's the question. We, we might not consciously at least question his existence or question God's sovereignty, but we question his care. Does he care about our sorrows and sufferings? Does he care about the sorrows of his covenant people? The temptation is, isn't it, to think that he doesn't. It can feel that way. And it's such a blessing when we can read the Psalms and we can see that we're allowed to express those feelings also, also to the Lord in prayer. We, we just sang it in Psalter 240, based on Psalm 88. Listen again to the last two lines of the first verse. Full of troubles and affliction, nigh to death my soul is brought, helpless like one cast forever from thy care and from thy thought. It can feel like the Lord doesn't care and how often congregation we can be tempted to live and sometimes even do live as if that's true, as if he doesn't care about our sorrows. We can be tempted not to go to him. We can be tempted to think, well, what's the point of praying? Have you ever thought that before? We can be tempted to become angry and bitter at God, to stay away from Him in our sorrow and in our misery, and instead to just try and tough it out on our own. Or perhaps we try and, and drown it out by going to someone or to something else, by using drugs or alcohol, or doing something else that will dull the pain, that will make us feel better, even if it's just for a short time. We can even be tempted to just end it all. To just end all the pain, all the suffering, all the misery, just end our lives. We can be tempted to think that God doesn't see, that God doesn't hear, that God doesn't really care. Maybe that's where you're at, even, even today as a child or as a young person or as an older, older person, you think or you're being tempted to think that God doesn't care about your sorrows. But he does. That's the message of our text. Exodus 3, verses 7 through 10. God tells us here that he does care. And look especially, especially with me now at, at verse 7, the, the end of verse 7. This, to me, is one of the most striking and beautiful phrases in, in all of Scripture. The end of verse 7. The Lord's speaking here. He's speaking to Moses about his people, his, his covenant people in Egypt. And this is what he says. I know their sorrows. I don't remember if it was just in my regular Bible reading or if I just came across this at some point, some other way. But it's ever since I've, I've noticed this phrase, it's just, it's been, it's been on my mind. It, it, it's an enchanting phrase, isn't it? It's an enchanting expression. What, what does it mean? There, there's something you sense immediately. There's something so deep, so very deep about this. I, the Lord, knows our sorrows. 
He knows our sorrows. What does that mean? It doesn't just say that He knows about our sorrows. It says He knows them. He doesn't ignore them, but he, he notices them. He's not indifferent to them, but he observes them. He takes note of them. He knows them in a deep way. That means, congregation, that God, the Lord, cares. He cares about our sorrows. That's really the message of our text, as the rest of the text also shows us. It's a message that calls in and encourages us all to seek and to trust him to cling to him in all of our sorrows and sufferings, yes, in all of our misery, whatever it is. And so with God's help, we want to consider this text this morning under the theme, the Lord knows our sorrows. We'll see, first of all, that he sees our affliction. And secondly, that he hears our cry. And thirdly, that he comes down for our salvation. He sees our affliction. That's what the Lord says to Moses in the first part of verse 7. Do you see that there? The Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people which are in Egypt. What does that mean? What does the word affliction mean? Well, when you are being afflicted, you are being oppressed, you are being humiliated, some kind of pain is being inflicted on you. It could be physical pain, it could be emotional pain, it could be spiritual pain. It could be all kinds of pain. In this context, the affliction that God sees is, as it says in verse 9, he says in verse 9, it's the oppression wherewith the Egyptians were oppressing Israel. That's what was happening to the people of Israel. The Egyptians were oppressing them. We read about that in, in Exodus 1. What, what was happening? The Egyptians had enslaved them, didn't they? They had made the Israelites forced laborers, and they didn't treat them well. They weren't well-treated slaves. No, they, they, they tried to work them into the ground. And when they kept multiplying by the grace of God, they, they worked them even harder. They made them serve, the text says, with rigor. And that's not even all of it. The king also ordered every Israelite boy that was born to the Israelites to be killed. He told his people to throw every Israelite son that was born into the river. Imagine that. Imagine you being in that situation. Imagine the, the, having given, just given birth to a, to a baby boy. Then imagine the anguish of having the Egyptians discover, discover that baby and coming and taking him from your arms and casting it, casting him into the river. That's a situation God's covenant people were in. They were being oppressed. They were being afflicted year after year after year after year. It's like they were trapped in a vice grip and the handle just kept being turned and it kept getting tighter and tighter. They were being squeezed more and more and more. How tempting it would have been. How tempting it would have been for them to think that God doesn't care, that he doesn't see. And yet he says in our text, I have seen. The Lord saw the affliction of his people. And beloved, that's just as true today as it was then. The Lord sees the affliction of his covenant people at all times. 
He sees the, he sees the affliction, affliction of all people, of course, but, but the, the focus here in our text is especially on the covenant people of God. And isn't that a comfort and encouragement for us? He sees our affliction. He sees our oppression, whatever it is. It may be oppression by other people like it was for the Israelites. That can happen to God's people. Also today, there are many countries in the world that for Christians are a lot like Egypt was for the Israelites. And we better not forget those brothers and sisters. We should not. We're told to remember them. Places like China and North Korea and Nigeria. There's others, many others. And there may, there may even come a time when Canada will become more like that for us. But how do we prepare for that then? So that we stand fast in faith by learning and believing what, we, what God says here in our text. By le- learning and believing it now. He sees our affliction. He sees our oppression. But it's not just people in the world who can oppress God's people, sadly. People in the church, people who belong to the church, people who are among God's covenant people, who may even be confessing members of a church, can also abuse and oppress others in the church. Oppression and abuse happens, and it happens in the church, also in families. It could be physical abuse, it could be sexual abuse, it could be emotional or even spiritual abuse. It may have happened to some of you, or it may even be happening now. And maybe you feel helpless and hopeless. Nobody seems to see it. You feel like God doesn't even see it. But listen to our text. He sees it. You are not invisible to God. He sees the abuse you have suffered or are suffering. And He cares. He cares. It's meant to be a comfort. It's meant to be a comfort. Those who have suffered or are suffering abuse is meant to give hope. But it's also meant to be a warning, isn't it, to us all? Never abuse or oppress or mistreat anyone, and especially not God's covenant people. They're the apple of his eye. God sees it. He saw how the Egyptians were oppressing his people, and you know what he did? You know what he did in his time to those Egyptians when they didn't repent, when they refused to let Israel go. If you don't know, then just keep reading the book of Exodus. It's a warning not to oppress, never to oppress or abuse others. And if you have, or you are, to confess it, to forsake it, to turn from it to Christ. The Lord sees our affliction. It could be affliction and oppression by other people, but it could also be affliction by Satan. That's ultimately what Israel's slavery in Egypt is a picture of, isn't it? It's a picture of our spiritual slavery, our spiritual bondage and misery, our bondage to Satan, our bondage to sin. That's how we all are conceived and and, and born by nature. Even as children born into the church, even as children born into the covenant of grace, we are conceived and born in sin, thoroughly depraved and corrupt, slaves of sin. Yes, willing slaves, but still slaves. We are under the devil's control. Maybe you've come to see something of that for yourself. You've seen something of your sin. You've seen something of your your, your depravity and your, your utter inability to do anything about it. Maybe even maybe even the children here have seen it. 
in themselves. How hard it can be to obey your parents. And you just find yourself always disobedient, always constantly disrespectful, dishonoring. And you feel like you just can't, you can't get out of it. You feel trapped in sin. You feel trapped, perhaps, in addiction. You, you feel trapped in the devil's grip. And you see no way out. And you're on the verge of despair, perhaps. You're afraid there's no hope. There's no help. Well, if that's you, then listen. There is hope. There is help. The Lord sees. He sees your affliction. He sees your miserable condition. In fact, he saw it long before you ever did. He came to you, many of you, before you even knew what was going on. And he signed and sealed his promise to you in baptism, his promise that through faith in Christ, you will be saved. You can be freed. You will be freed. His promise that he will wash you from your sins by his blood and spirit. We're going to hear more about that promise this afternoon, Lord willing. But the point now is, he saw your affliction already then, and even long before that, in eternity. Your condition, however shocking it may feel to you this morning, however desperate it may be to you, however hopeless it may feel to you today, it's no surprise and it's no shock to God. He saw it long before you ever did. He knows. And he cares. He is both willing and able to save you and to help you. Yes, he sees and cares about all of our afflictions. It could be affliction by others. It could be affliction by Satan. Maybe, not, maybe we're not in bondage to Satan, but even as Christians, we can be tempted, can't we? We can be assaulted. We can be accused by Satan. Think of what Satan, think of what Satan did to Job. It could be affliction by our own sinful flesh tempting us. We have to strive against it and it, it, it lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the, the flesh and are contrary to one another. It could be affliction that you've brought on your, yourself, sufferings that have, have come as a consequence of your own sinful choices or foolish choices. It could even be affliction directly by God himself. The Bible speaks of the Lord afflicting people, even his own people. He does that sometimes, not willingly. Lamentations 3 says, The Lord does not afflict or grieve the children of men willingly, but he sometimes afflicts us. He sometimes allows affliction in order to humble us, to teach us to live more in reliance on him, or to discipline us and to, to, bring, us, to bring us back because we've been backsliding, we've been straying. Deuteronomy 8 verse 3 gives an example of this. It says that the Lord humbled or afflicted, it's the same word, afflicted Israel during the 40 years of wandering in the wilderness and allowed them to hunger and fed them with manna that he might make them know that man does not live by bread only but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of the Lord. The point is, in this world congregation, we can suffer all kinds of afflictions, all kinds of oppression, for all kinds of reasons. And we may not always know why. And it's hard. It's painful. But this is our comfort. This is our confidence. This is our hope. God sees. The Lord assures us of that. Did you notice that? In verse 7. 
He doesn't just say, I have seen. He says, I have surely seen. I have surely seen. He adds an assurance. There's no reason to doubt them, congregation. There's no reason to doubt. The Lord knows our sorrows. He sees our affliction, our oppression. He sees it all, and he doesn't just see it indifferently. He cares. Then won't you go to him? Won't you go to him with your affliction? Maybe you say, does, does he hear me? Will he? Will he hear me? Yes, he does. And he will. That's what it says in our text. He, he not only sees the affliction of his covenant people, he also hears their cry to him. Verse 7. And the Lord says, I have surely seen, said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people, which are in Egypt, and have heard their cry by reason of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. And then you, you go a few verses later to verse 9. Now therefore behold, the cry of the children of Israel is come unto me. The people of Israel were, were crying out to God. Exodus 2 verses 23 and 24 says that they were sighing by reason of the bondage and they cried and their cry came up unto God and God heard their groaning. The Lord heard the cry of his afflicted covenant people in Egypt when they cried to him. The congregation, he's the same God today. He does not change. He's the Lord. He hears the cry of the needy and the afflicted. And again, again, that's a warning never to afflict or oppress or abuse or take advantage of others, especially not the weak and helpless. God's people, God, God gives that warning to his people. In Exodus 22, Verses 21 through 24. He says there, it's a very sober warning. It's a very loving warning, but it's very sober. Thou shalt neither vex a stranger nor oppress him, for ye were strangers in the land of Egypt. Ye shall not afflict any widow or fatherless child. Those are the needy, the neediest. If thou afflict them in any wise, he says, and they cry at all unto me, I will surely hear their cry. And then he says this, and my wrath shall wax hot, and I will kill you with the sword, and your wives shall be widows, and your children fatherless. That is a sober warning. It shows us how seriously God takes the oppression of the needy. But it's also a great comfort. God has promised to hear the cries of his afflicted covenant people. He is not deaf to them. In Psalm 9, verse 12, we, we, read that the, we read that the Lord forgets not the cry of the humble or of the afflicted. He forgets not the cry of the afflicted. Yes, it's true, the Bible just says that God doesn't hear the, the prayer, the cry of the hypocrite, the one who cries with his mouth, but, but not with his heart, not, not in truth. He doesn't hear the, those cries, but, but it also says that he does hear the prayer of the humble. He hears our humble cries for help in whatever affliction we are in. That's who he is. He is gracious and full of compassion. You see, 
And he is faithful. He is faithful to his covenant words. He is the God who hears prayer. What an encouraging and what a needed reminder this is for us, congregation, or not. How, how, how easy it is for us when we're in affliction, especially when the affliction is heavy, especially when it is long. How easy it is for us to become discouraged in prayer and to begin to despair, to feel like he does not, he will not hear. You could feel like Job did in Job 23 when he cried out, Oh, that I knew where I might find God. Behold, I go forward, but he is not there. And backward, but I cannot perceive him. On the left hand, where, where he does work, but I cannot behold him. He hides himself on the right hand, that I cannot see him. We can wonder, you see, if God really hears. But he does. We may not be able to see him. But he sees us. And he hears us. And he cares. And he knows. As Job himself goes on to say, in Job 23, verse 10, but he knows the way that I take. And when he has tried me, I shall come forth as gold. How we need to be reminded, though, of this comforting and encouraging truth that God does hear. He hears our cries to him. The Lord Jesus knew we needed this reminder. He told a parable once in, in Luke 18, about a widow who was being afflicted and oppressed by someone. And he told this parable, Luke 18 verse 1 says, He told it to teach us that men ought always to pray and not faint, not lose heart. And so he tells this, this parable, children, of this widow who, who, who comes to a judge. Who, and this judge did not fear God. He, he, was a, he, he, didn't, he didn't fear God. He didn't regard man. He was... He was a horrible judge. He didn't care about justice. But this was the judge in the city in which this woman lived. And so she came to, to this judge and, and she asked him to, to avenge or to get justice for her from her adversary. And at first the judge, he didn't listen. He didn't listen because he didn't care. But finally he gave in, not because he, he cared about God, not because he cared about justice, but because he just wanted to get rid of her. He didn't want her to pester him, to keep pestering him. And so he finally heard her and did what she asked. The judge, as unjust as he was, heard this widow's cry. And then Jesus makes his point. And shall not, he says, God avenge his own elect, which cry day and night unto him, though he bear long with them. I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. And then he asks, he concludes with this rather searching question. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, shall he find faith? Shall he really find faith on the earth? Because, you see, he knows. He knows how quick we are to lose heart. He knows how quick we are to become discouraged. It's a parable he told to encourage us telling us that God does care about our sorrows. He does hear the cries of his afflicted people. He may not always answer in the way that we think he should. He may not answer according to our timelines, but he will answer in his time and in his way and his time and his way is always, always, always best. And so the point of the, the parable and the point of our text and the call is to pray 
to cry to God in faith. Whatever affliction you're in, go to him. Don't forsake him. Don't go to, to other people or to, or, 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 or I mean, it's, it's good to go to other people to get help and encouragement as they point you to the Lord and, and, and walk alongside you. But don't rely on other people, other things, instead of on God. Don't go to other things. Don't go to the things that the world offers to give, to give relief from the pain, from the suffering. No, but go to God. Go to Christ. Go to Him. Don't think He doesn't care. He does. Pour out your heart to Him. Cast your cares upon Him, for He cares for you. He promises His care to all who trust in Him. So trust Him. Humble, humbly trust in Him. That, that's what Jesus is saying. That's what our text is saying. The Lord does and will hear our cries. He does. Oh, then why do you say, O Jacob? And why do you say, O Israel? My way is hidden from the Lord and my judgment is passed over from my God. The Lord is near. He is near to all who call upon Him in truth. His ears are open to their cry, for he knows our sorrows. Yes, as Matthew Henry comments, even the secret sorrows, even the secret sorrows of God's people are known to him. Who is a God like him? To whom else shall we go? Who else cares? Like him, who else can hear our cry like he does? Who else can help like he can? You see, he doesn't just see our affliction. And he doesn't just hear our cry. He comes down for our salvation. Verse 8. The Lord says to Moses, and I am come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them out of that land unto a good and large land, unto a land flowing with milk and honey, unto the place of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites. And then he tells Moses in verse 10, Come now therefore, I will send thee unto Pharaoh, that thou mayest bring forth my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. Do you see it? The Lord comes down for his people's salvation. He came down to save Israel, to save his covenant people out of Egypt, and to bring them into the promised land in fulfillment of his covenant promise to Abraham hundreds of years before. And the same is true today, beloved. You see, what he did for his afflicted people in Egypt is a picture of what he does for us in the gospel. He doesn't just see, he doesn't just hear, he comes down. He comes down for our salvation. In fact, he's already come down. When? Children. When did the Lord come down for our salvation? came down when he came as a baby, didn't he? When he was conceived by the Holy Spirit in Mary's womb, Jesus Christ is the Lord, the Son of God, come down for our salvation, 
That's what he came down to do. That he came down to accomplish salvation for sinners. So that sinners who cannot escape their slavery to sin and to Satan. Sinners who are enemies of God and under the condemnation of God might be rescued and brought back to God. And how did Jesus do that? How did he do that? He did that by living a perfectly righteous life. His whole life long in the midst of this world. So full, chock full of sorrow and sin. And then himself dying on the cross under the wrath and curse of God. That's how deeply the Lord cares about our sorrows. He cares so deeply that he entered into them himself. You see, the Lord himself, Christ coming down is, is not just about him coming down as a man. It's about him coming down, as Isaiah 53 says, as a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. He came down, it says there, and bore our griefs and carried our sorrows. It says there that he was oppressed and he was afflicted. Why? Why did he do that? Isaiah 53 tells us why. He was wounded for our transgression. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him, on Christ, the iniquity of us all. That congregation is why. How humbling that is but also how comforting because you see it means that the Lord really truly understands and he cares. He knows our sorrows because he came down and he experienced them himself. He was in all points tempted as we are yet without sin. Yes, he was without sin. Well, you say, how can he know? How can he know the bondage that I'm in then? Well, because he came and he took the sins of all who trusted him upon himself. He didn't know sin personally, but he bore the sins, the transgressions of many on the cross. See, he's not a high priest who cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities. He suffered to an extent, an extent far greater than any of us ever have. He really knows our sorrows. The Lord does. But best of all, he has accomplished a salvation for all his people, for everyone who trusts in him, that will one day end all sorrow, all oppression, all affliction. You see, by his life, the salvation that he accomplished by his life and death is a full salvation for all who trust and follow him. It's salvation not only from the guilt and the punishment of sin. It's salvation not only from bondage to sin and bondage to Satan. It's salvation also from all the consequences of sin. And he offers that salvation. He offers that salvation to us in his word. Come to me, Christ says. Come to me, all ye who labor and are heavy laden. 
and I will give you rest. The Lord came down for our salvation in Jesus Christ. He reveals and he offers that salvation to us in his word and he even signs and seals it in baptism. Do you see how much he cares, congregation? He cares and he calls. Are you trusting in him? Oh, when you by grace belong to him by faith, then you are saved. You are saved and you are being saved and one day you will be fully saved because you see Christ the Lord, he, he's not just come down in Christ. And, and not just, again, in his Holy Spirit to, to apply salvation to us, but he's coming again. He's coming down again in person, in, in his human nature. That's what the Bible says. When Christ was here the first time, he, he, he came to bear the sins of many. But Hebrews 9 verse 28 says that unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin. Unto what? Unto salvation. You see, we have sorrow now. We have oppression and we have afflictions now. We have pain and we have suffering now. And it's hard and it's, it's painful. It's lonely times. But then... When he comes again, then as it says in Isaiah 51, the redeemed of the Lord shall return and come with singing unto Zion and everlasting joy shall be upon their head. They shall obtain gladness and joy and sorrow and mourning shall flee away. That's the promise of the gospel and it's guaranteed in Christ. And so beloved, the call of our text is to seek and trust the Lord in all our sorrows. He does care. He knows them. He's the man of sorrows who's come down for our salvation. And when he comes down again, and that promise will come to pass, God shall wipe away all tears from our eyes. And there shall be no more death. There shall be neither sorrow nor crying. Neither shall there be any more pain. Everything will be made new. Hallelujah. What a Savior. Amen. Let us pray. We give thanks, O Lord, for this majestic and at the same time so mysterious revelation in your words, that you know our sorrows. Give us grace to believe it, and give us grace to cry to you, and to experience your salvation. For Jesus' sake, amen. Let us sing together Psalter 388 in closing.